Support for the sponsor pod and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey guys, it's Jason. Welcome to episode number five of the Sponsor Pod featuring Tom Wills, president and CEO of Bonham Wills and Associates. You're going to love this episode. Tom is extremely talented, graduating at the top of his class in neuroscience, of all things, but makes a huge pivot into the sports sponsorship space after a professor had an honest conversation with him about his career. He, he basically told him that he would be a great doctor for five years and then would do something completely different and be wildly successful at it. Well, he never ended up being a doctor, but he is a amazing and successful sponsorship professional. We're going to take you down Tom's career path and discuss his insights on both property and brand sponsorships. Hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening. And I think he took a real leap of faith. Um, and I remember writing that report. It was 67 pages or something written from front to back. And it was just such an accomplishment. Actually, in this office, I don't have a picture, but I, I took a picture of it and I sent it around to my brothers and my, my uh, parents at that point. But I was so proud. And I think Dean saw uh, a level of ambition. Um, and from there, we just kept rolling it out and having a tremendous amount of success. We went down to Pitt and, and worked for them and did uh, a large level analysis, looking at uh, their MMR, their multimedia uh, partnerships, uh, and just looking at how that, where they should go moving forward. I found that tremendously rewarding. And I, I almost knew instantly that this was my path uh, where I wanted to go. This is the Sponsor Pod, a show about sponsorship leaders and their experiences, stories, and how they see the ever-changing world of sponsorships. I'm Jason Smith, and on the show today, we're going to hear from Tom Wills, President and CEO of Bonham Wills & Associates. I connected with Tom to hear about his sponsorship journey. How it was growing up, it was a pretty unique existence. I, uh, My parents wonderful people uh immigrated right before my elder brother was born uh they moved over from england and completely changed their lives their lives my uh mom was a nurse um in england and my dad was a barrister actually at the old bailey um and they moved over and i don't know why but at the age of 40 my dad decided he wasn't going to continue doing law um and so they, they moved all of their furniture over, all these unique antiques. Um, and when they came over, they were meeting people around uh, the Northwest 
who were just enthralled with these uh, with this furniture. You know, now we have IKEA and Walmart and everything's disposable. But back then, they were uh, they brought over all of their you know two hundred year old uh, chairs and all of this. Um, oh, wow. And they saw a real opportunity. And, you know, I think I get my entrepreneurial spirit from my dad who said, this is a great opportunity. And so what they decided to do was they went back over to uh, the UK every summer and they would do purchasing trips um, and find all these incredible antiques that in the UK were a dime a dozen and you could buy for a hundred dollars and then you could come over and sell for a significant profit. So when I was growing up, I was constantly moving furniture and uh, rearranging things, but it was a really exciting time. Um, and when I was four, my parents decided the city life wasn't where they wanted to raise their three boys. Uh, I'm the middle child and I come with all of those issues. Uh, so they moved <laughs> us to a... <laughs> Trust me, it's true. But they moved us over to Vancouver Island to Cobble Hill. Um, and it was just this very unique uh, upbringing. We were on 10 acres of land. Um, as the antique business started to kind of fall out, my dad decided to get into furniture design. Um, and so we actually built a factory on the property. Uh, so it was great. We always had, uh, you know, carpenters around, these amazing woodworkers, um, and we would interact with them. And it was, it was just a really wonderful way to, to grow up. Our, Nearest neighbor was a kilometer away, and um, they were dairy farmers, so uh, they owned a beautiful piece of land that we overlooked, but it was often uh, smelly of manure, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a wonderful, wonderful way of life. How old were you, and you know, were, you, were you working in, the, in, the, in this furniture business you know, through your teenage years, or was this just more in your um, younger years? <clears throat> Absolutely. We were always being called to, uh, <laughs> to help out. Uh, so a lot of refinishing of furniture, a lot of staining of furniture. Um, and I think all three of us loved it. Um, my, bro my older brother is an engineer and he's a little bit more into the design and, uh, and actually putting the, the pieces together. I've got to say I'm not the handiest person. But, uh, but I did enjoy being around everyone. And uh, like I said, it was just a really fun way to grow up. And you had to learn what hard work was at a, at a young age because there was a lot to do all the time. Did, did you ever build your own furniture? Like you I built a little, I built a little bit, um, but uh, nothing compared to what they were doing and, the, and you know, what was being created on the property um, during those years. That's, that's amazing. Well, you, you, you grew up in a, in a, in a beautiful part of the world, as we talked about, which is probably why you've become such an avid backpacker, as I know, because you've seen the world and you've had a lot of experiences do, doing that. Where did you kind of get, get that, uh, that bug to, to backpack and, and, uh, where, where did that start? You know what? I think that came from my mom's family. Uh, they spent a lot of time in India and just traveling everywhere. Um, when I came of age, I, you know, I was 18 and I decided to take a gap year and go to Australia. And that was really fun. I mean, it was incredible, but I felt there was a little bit of a gap. You know, we spent a lot of time at the beaches and surfing and really enjoying ourselves. But when I reflected back on it, I thought, you know, I, I was missing something. I was missing something culturally. Australians are so much fun. Australia is such a beautiful, wonderful place. 
but I needed to do something more. So when my brother, uh, my younger brother, who's this incredible artist, when he came to uh, be 18 and decided to take a gap year before going to uni, I said to him, you know what, we're going to India. So at that point, I got a medical internship uh, because through my school, and we went over to India for six months and Nepal, uh, and my older brother met us in Thailand. And that was just a more unique experience. I don't think I would be the same and I wouldn't have the same community perspective if I didn't have the opportunity to see how other cultures are. And I think it's, it's really critical um, and I really advocate it for, you know, for youth and for university students to get out of their bubble and experience what other cultures are like. You, you went, you went to school at, uh, Dalhousie university in Halifax. Is that right? I did. Yeah. I studied, uh, I studied neuroscience. So it was kind of a, a neuroscience, of a which, which, what, what, <laughs> what got you there? Yeah, so it's it's not the most uh, pleasant of stories, but uh, my dad, who I said was just a, a brilliant man, he was a brilliant thinker. Um, he was a novelist, but never tried to get anything published. But I think he wrote 16 novels and 60 short stories, and he did it for his own good. And I've read them, and they're incredible. Uh, but when I was probably about 15, and he was uh, about 50, he started to tell us that he was having cognitive issues and his it, he was going down this road and everyone just thought of him as this incredible thinker this brilliant guy and nobody took him seriously but he kept telling us and they kept doing tests um, and slowly he started to deteriorate so by the time you know five years later he could no longer drive oh, wow. um, you know and he lost a lot of uh, inhibition because at the end of the day, and I found out later um, when I did my neuroscience that he was having uh, multi-infarct syndrome. So that's minor little strokes that are not even noticeable throughout the brain. And so, you know, us three brothers, we looked at this and we needed to understand it. There was no continuity of care in his life because he moved around quite a bit. And like I said, when he lost his inhibition, um, you know, he wasn't necessarily doing the best things to get the help he needed uh, to be sustainable. So I've always had a drive for, for science and a drive to understand what's going on around me. Um, and that led me into neuroscience because I felt that there has to be better answers to this. Um, and so I did four years at Dalhousie University uh, with their neuroscience program. I did a lot of research. Um, I and graduated at the, top, at the top of your class as well. I mean, this I is did. A, I did. This yeah. is a. This I is mean, a I super, didn't have a lot of fun. Yeah, this is a super technical degree, and you you graduate at the top of your class. So so understanding, you know, everything that happened with your father, and trying to understand what he was going through. What did you feel like your path was at this point? Where you're like, okay, I need well, to understand. I need to understand this. I need to get some education. But did you feel like it was going to be a career for you? As I was going down this path, I was so entrenched in understanding what was going on in the brain. And we were really, when I was at school, we were really in a precipitous kind of moment of the science and the neuroimaging technology was a little bit behind where we were. So things were changing every year. You know, one textbook had to be thrown out from year to year. Um, and I came from, you know, a lot of my mom's family. My grandpa's a doctor. Uh, my uncle's a, a 
tremendous surgeon. My other uncle's a doctor. So I had this medical family that I really felt, you know, I could follow in their footsteps. But the truth was, in the back of my mind, I always knew that I was much more entrepreneurial. Um, I could never spend my time in a lab. Um, and uh, it's funny, you know, I ended up working in this prominent pharmacology lab and it was incredible. And what we were doing on a day to day was we were uh, researching neuroprotection against uh, platinum drugs, which you use for cancer. And it was just this incredible, incredible um, opportunity. And right before I was going to medical school at McMaster, I asked the head of the lab, this incredible Scotsman, uh, George Robertson, who's uh, who I believe is still at Dalhousie. And I asked him, you know, George, do you think I'll be a good doctor? And he looked at me in the eye and he said, Tom, for five years, you'll be a great doctor. And for one year, you'll be trying to find a different path and then you'll be successful the rest of your life. And I was quite <laughs> offended when I heard that. But I took a little bit of time and I had to reflect on what he meant by that. Um, and then I wasn't offended. You know, I think he could see that maybe it wasn't the best option for me. And I figured that out, you know, shortly thereafter that I am very entrepreneurial. I want to work in the community, whether the actual finite business of neuroscience, of, uh, you know, surgery, of medicine is where my talent lies. That's a question, you know, maybe it, maybe it was the case, but uh, I certainly decided to uh, pivot and take a different path. Yeah, it's interesting that he could see that in your, in your work ethic and what, you know, after seeing you at, at school all those years, he, he, can, he can see how talented you were. I mean, you did graduate at the top of your class, but he, he realized how successful that you were going to be. Do you think that you learned, uh, you know, the things that you learned from the neuroscience degree um, and going to school and that, do you, feel, do you feel like that has helped you in your work today? Absolutely. What a great question, Jason. You know, a lot of people look at it, um, and it's a question I have to ask, you know, whenever we take on a new client, oh, how did you get from neuroscience? Why, why would you do neuroscience? And, you know, I often don't go into the preamble of uh, my father's illness and all of that. But what I do say is neuroscience was a great opportunity, especially for where I started with Dean Bonham. And at that time, it was just Bonham and Associates. And that was being an analyst. Um, and neuroscience was all about systems. When you do something, you know, when you do A, B happens, which is going to affect C all the way down to Z. Um, and so I, you know, going through that, I learned this incredible way to process problems and try to find answers throughout it. And that was really, I found so much uh, fun in those early days working for Dean uh, in doing that in, because I completely, I had no background and I had to study, you know, I used to read about sponsorship. I used to read about deals for six hours every day. And then I would go spend another six hours actually trying to figure out what the thing was. And Dean's such a unique leader, um, that if you ask the right question to Dean, you will get an incredible conversation and so much will come out of it. But if you ask the wrong question to Dean, you get absolutely nothing. So I learned very quickly in our partnership that I needed to spend the time, whatever that is, 12 hours on this minute little question to figure out what the actual right question was so that I could get the right answer. And the funny thing is, and I always try to instill this um, 
in anyone that I work with that during that time of trying to figure out what the right answer is, you might, or sorry, what the right question is, you might actually find out what the answer is and then you're more insightful and you can go on to the next question. And so when you do have to bring it to your superiors, you do have to bring it to your client or whoever it is in this business, you're actually having a deeper conversation. And that's so critical uh, for what we do uh, as consultants in the sponsorship industry. If we can't have the insightful conversations with our clients, well, then we're not going to be successful. Well, and, and I'm going to take a couple of steps back because we, we've been talking about Dean here. I don't know if he said, hey, I want to get into the sponsorship industry. Why don't you tell that story about how you met Dean at coming on graduation and making that pivot from you know, a neuroscience focus to now working as this project manager with Bonham, specifically where you met Dean. Can you tell a little bit? Yeah. Of, you tell that story? So I took a year deferment uh, from medical school after I graduated at neuroscience so that I could kind of explore that question from George Robertson of why I would only be in medicine for five years. And during that time, I, I sat down and I made a list, an old fashioned list. I don't even know if we do this anymore, but I wrote out the things that I was passionate about. And, you know, on it was community. On it was sports. I, I've always loved sports. At the time, I was a huge hockey fan. Um, and I went down and I, I was just good at getting things done. You know, if there was a trip that we were going on in university, I was doing all of the, you know, negotiating and where we go. And, you know, I've always just been kind of uh, the doer in a group. And so what I thought was player representation would be very, very interesting. So I drafted a letter to, um, you know, maybe 15 prominent uh, player agents that I thought were interesting, um, that I thought had a good mentality. And I just drafted a letter and said, hey, I'll come and work for you for free or next to nothing so that I can learn the business. And two were just incredible to me. One was Jake Grossman at, uh, at the Puck Agency out of New York. And the other was, uh, the name is slipping my mind, but Jeremy Roenick's agent, a, a brilliant lawyer, a brilliant mind out of Boston. Um, and they both reached back to me and uh, they gave me all the time in the world to kind of explore what it was to be an agent. And coming out of that, what I realized was the days of the traditional agent, the negotiations were, were coming to an end. You know, Ovechkin could walk in and get the maximum salary based on the team, you know, and his yeah. mom could negotiate that for him, which I believe she did. So without some sort of um, other tangible asset, that being an attorney or that being a CPA or a CA, an accountant, um, there wasn't really an opportunity for me in that business. But uh, it was either Jay or someone else during those conversations told me that the two areas that were really going to, um, that were really going to expand in sports at that period were A, media, um, and to sponsorship and the business relationships that surround uh, massive sports businesses. And as you could probably, well, as you can't see, I have a, a face for radio and I've never wanted to uh, <laughs> be in front of the camera. Uh, so media wasn't really on my list. I just, I wouldn't feel comfortable there. Um, you know, the people that do it have incredible lives and they're, they're wonderful, but I'd much rather be behind the scenes um, getting the deals done. 
So I decided to kind of go down the route of sponsorship. Um, and at this time, Dean was working uh, out of the south of France. He was, you know, bunny years retired, but still getting lots of calls from. How did you How did you work. meet him? What was that? Yeah, so so a mutual friend of ours, uh, or a mutual friend of both of uh, Dean and I, introduced me to Dean, um, and I ended up drafting a letter to Dean, basically telling him who I was, uh, where I felt my talents would lie, and we went from there. So, um, and Dean and I would, you know, these these are the days before Skype, but he had kind of an extensive interview process for me, um, feeling it out and. You know, I had another job actually at that point. I, I was working for uh, Census Canada or Statistics Canada doing um, census prep. So I had a little bit of money that could get me going. So I wasn't asking Dean to invest in me at that point. Um, and eventually after Dean and I were kind of working together and he got me to do a lot of case studies for him, um, he decided to take a job in Canada, uh, which was a very exciting, fun job. Uh, now it's TD Stadium in Ottawa, but at that point it was just an OSEG opportunity. It was uh, renovating uh, the 67s arena as well as bringing in the Ottawa Red Blacks uh, CFL team back to Ottawa. Um, and so Dean offered me an opportunity as, you know, it was titled project manager, but realistically it was just an analyst. It was to look at everything and pull it together. Um, he basically and, said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, we've been talking about this. I'm going to give you this project to see how well you really do with it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think he took a real leap of faith. Um, and I remember writing that report, it was 67 pages or something written from front to back. And it was just such an accomplishment. Actually in this office, I don't have a picture, but I, I took a picture of it and I sent it around to my brothers and my, my, uh, parents at, at that point. <laughs> uh, but I was so proud and I think Dean saw uh, a level of ambition um, and from there we just kept rolling it out and having a tremendous amount of success. We went down to Pitt and, and worked for them and did uh, a large level analysis looking at uh, their MMR, their multimedia partnerships uh, and just looking at how that, where they should go moving forward. I found that tremendously rewarding. And I, I almost knew instantly that this was my path uh, where I wanted to go. That's, that's amazing. And, and uh, it's interesting. You just wrote a letter. You know, I think, I think one thing to learn there is it doesn't hurt just to reach out. You know, if there's something that you really want to do, like go get it. Right. And it was exactly. a, simple, a simple letter to Dean Bonham, who had, who was a huge expert, tons of years of experience in this. And as you decided you wanted to go that route, you just, you saw that ambition in you and working super hard to, to get it. So I love that. When we come back, we'll chat about how the Bonham agency transitioned to Bonham Wills and Associates and how Tom works with both properties and brands in their sponsorship efforts. We'll also chat about some unique projects he's worked on. Stay with us. This is Jason Smith and you're listening to the Sponsor Pod. Support for the Sponsor Pod and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey, welcome back to the Sponsor Pod. 
I'm Jason Smith. Tom just earned his way to adding his name to the company brand and begins leading the agency and all sponsorship efforts. And, and over time, you, you worked then with just the Bonham agency. It was Dean's, Dean's agency at the time. And you basically transitioned into Bonham Wills and Associates. So how did it go from Bonham to Bonham Wills? Yeah, so that was a really fun story as well. Um, Dean still working out of the south of France, uh, you know, living his best life. He got involved in a purchasing uh, group for the Dodgers. If you remember when Frank McCourt was going through his divorce and everything, yeah. you know, there was a lot of chaos around that. So, um, so Dean was brought on board and essentially Dean said to me at that point, listen, I need an office out in LA, get out there um, and start heading up this office. Um, we obviously weren't going to come up with the money in the end. I think we had about 500 million behind us. Uh, but the truth was, uh, in the end, it went to the Guggenheim Group for $2.2 billion. So we, we weren't going to get there. But once we had the office in L.A., we realized how much opportunity there was back in the States coming out of the recession. Um, that was, was in 2012? Very, Is that when it was? Yeah, that was two, 2011, 2012. So 11, late 12, 2011. Okay. Um, and... You know, we were getting a ton of calls for work. Uh, money was starting to be spent again. As you probably remember during that period, uh, sponsorship dollars really dried up, um, as, as they do in every recession. So it was a time of change. Um, and, you know, Dean was kind of looking for someone to run this agency. And at that point, we had a very candid conversation. I had no interest, and I still have no interest in running a large agency or uh, you know, being a part of a large agency, what Dean and I have in common, um, and we have many differences as well, but what we have in common is that we both like to be boots on the ground in any big deal. We do not like to uh, pass that off. We also don't like to do a lot of the minutiae. So over the years, our firm has, you know, my firm, Bonham Wills, has expanded to up to 15 employees. And what I find when I have 15 employees, it's a lot of fun. Christmas parties are great. But I'm spending more time working on that than I am working on deals. And that's not where I want to be. And that's not where Dean wants to be either. So, And he'd done the big firm thing. I mean, the Bonham Group had 16 offices across the states and, you know, more associates than you can count on uh, hand and foot. So, you know, we'd both been there. And when I pitched him my business model that, you know, really utilized contractors as much as possible, we could move around and we could take jobs still to this day. We turn down as many jobs as we take because we both want to be actually working on that, that project. And when you have 40 or 50 associates, the truth is you have so much overhead that you're managing all the time. You have to be taking as much work as you can get. And that's just not where we wanted to be. Uh, I was surprised that Dean accepted my, my offer to take over Bonham Wills and Associates and to run it the way that I uh, wish to run my business. And uh, the rest is really history. You know, we've had a few hiccups over the years, but really Dean's a great partner. Um, I always try to do right by him because he was my mentor and uh, really gave me an opportunity in this industry that I probably wouldn't have gotten if Dean didn't take a leap of faith uh, all those years back. Yeah. And he's the chairman now, right? 
Yep. So he, he chairs our board um, and he's still very active. I mean, we had a two hour call last night about, uh, about a few ongoing projects and, uh, and the, the state of things with COVID. Um, but, you know, he's trying to roll back a little bit. He's uh, getting up there in years and he loves to live his best life, you know, and power to him. So um, I try not to involve him in everything, uh, you know, at least the day-to-day -day running of the business. But to have that resource uh, behind me is just such an incredible asset. That, that's great. What a great story. And, and, and uh, thanks for sharing it. I, I want to now transition into um, what, what your firm um, does specifically um, with, with sponsorships and who you, who you'll consult with. Um, and you have the benefit to consult and work with, with both on the property or rights holder side and also the brand sides as it relates to, to, to sponsorships. How does, how does your approach differ for, for each one as you're consulting either on the rights holder side or with a brand? What a great question. What a great question. The truth is I try not to have my approach differ too much. Uh, and the reason for that is my philosophy in a good negotiation and in a good partnership is that both sides equally win. Um, so when I sit on the property side, as I did for Falls View, you know, entertainment properties, when I look at that, you know, I really try to look at it as the property as well. So, you know, how can we create a partnerships that's going to be fruitful for both sides, that's going to work for both sides? Because if you have a one-sided partnership, it just is not going to work. And, and you, you'll, when you consult, is, is it, um, you have a lot of different um, ways that you can help either rights holders or brands, right? You've got, you've got the consulting side. What are some of the other services that you provide? Other than yeah, absolutely. Consulting? Absolutely. So on the brand side, uh, we're often brought in in a situation where, um, you know, for instance, Protective Life was buying their naming rights uh, down in Birmingham. Uh, and they just wanted to ensure, I mean, they, they're brilliant people and uh, the CEO understands that giving back to the community is such a huge part of, uh, of that business. So he knew he wanted to do it. He knew that they were going to do it. But they came to us and said, how can we make sure that we get the utmost benefits out of this partnership? Um, and so in that case, we'll actually sit down with the corporation and go through all of their goals and marketing objectives, what their philanthropic work is, and then bring in all of that and tie it into one partnership. Um, and try then, if, if we're asked to, we will then go sit down with the other side, which in this case is the property, and we'll work to actually build uh, the partnership that we believe our clients should get through that. So that's one of the services. It's one of my favorite services that we do, and that's the platform analysis. And we go through and we look at all of your sponsorships. We look at all of your strategies as a whole, and we decide whether, A, you're doing well, which you're doing great at Mountain America. Um, and I think you're even doing better than when you were a couple of years ago. It, but not only that, we look at how we can improve um, and maybe we're spending money in the wrong places. Maybe we're spending money in professional sports um, and that's just costing too much on uh, you know, a per case basis. And we can actually spend it better at high school and community partnerships and that will achieve the same goal and be more aligned with um, your philanthropic objectives um, and the narrative of what the actual company is. So, 
that's really, you know, we do do a lot of other analysis. Sometimes we'll look at existing partnerships or, or one partnership or in the past for um, a group, we helped them negotiate out of, uh, of a sponsorship that had soured. Um, and then on the property side, we do do a lot of sales for our clients. We do a lot of uh, naming rights analysis, sponsorship analysis, as well as uh, platform analysis. Um, and at the end of that, you know, if they ask us to, we will utilize our network, which we have a tremendous network of contractors that we use throughout the states uh, that come from the MLB, that come from the NFL, uh, that come from specific brands. Um, and we'll utilize that network to assist in sales. Sponsorship sales is one of the hardest businesses uh, to be in. Uh, it's a very difficult uh, close, but it's so satisfying when you can actually finalize a good partnership uh, that's equitable for both sides. And the key to it, um, and I know some of our competitors may disagree, but the key to sponsorship sales is not plastering information across, or sorry, not information, but reach outs to 600 corporations that may or may not do it. The key to sponsorship sales is extensive research into both the property and the corporation, figuring out who the top six are um, and going and making a, a tremendous pitch. Um, and we use a group out of uh, Toronto, uh, which is headed by uh, Casey, or sorry, Ken Chong and uh, KCP Graphics. And they help us so much in creating that narrative. We'll actually bring them in in a pretty early stage and say, okay, we've got uh, you know a car company and we've got a university they're headquartered within 60 miles these are the philosophies on both sides create the narrative that merges them together uh, and i think without kcd's help uh, or ken chong's help at least uh, we wouldn't have been so successful i i i can't agree more Le less is always more when you're when you're uh, building out your sponsorship um, well i'm I'm yeah, sure, when you're building Jason, out your sponsorship you, platforms. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure you uh, you receive a lot of messages from people in sponsorship sales trying to get Mountain America on board uh, that are just generic. They're not telling you why you should do Mountain America. And it's very hard for you to engage in that. You might look at it and say, hey, actually, this stadium or this arena fits in our geographic interest. And they have the right, but they didn't d take the right approach to to tell me the story that I needed to know to actually engage in this partnership or engage in the next step. The story is, is super important. You need to make sure that you have the right narrative when you're reaching out for sure. Absolutely. And you've, and you've been able to work on some major sports and entertainment properties. Um, what have been some of the most prominent projects that you've worked on? And can you talk about a few of them? So maybe some of the, you know, one or two of them yeah. that maybe have been super impactful. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, the one that really comes to mind is uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Greg McElroy brought, uh, brought us on board. It was the first major deal. We had a few smaller ones, uh, but it was the first major deal that uh, we did, and that was Cowboys Stadium with AT&T. Uh, Jerry Jones, uh, God love him. He's, uh, he's such a hard worker, um, and he's got a tremendous vision. But, you know, that was going on four years uh, with no naming rights. And we came in and I think developed a good strategy as well as as well as a good value proposition for them, um, assisted by Greg McElroy, who was a senior VP there at the time. 
Um, and, you know, I think within four or five months of us providing that value uh, analysis for them, uh, there was a new name on the stadium that was just such a tremendous uh, confidence boost for Bonham Wills and Associates and, and uh, confidence boost in the industry. So that was so much fun. And then moving forward, you know, we've worked for such great universities over the years. ASU, you know, I loved the work we did with Boise State. I thought that that was tremendously fun. You know, we've worked with some tremendous entertainment properties as well. Uh, when you think of Ambassador Theatre Group, at that time, they had, I think, 40 theaters across the world. When we finished working with them, 57 or so theaters across the world, we were trying to build a theater in, oh, wow. uh, in Hong Kong. So it, it just a really uh, fun amount of projects. Um, the Lakers was really fun. Uh, the Maple Leafs, or MLSE, I should say, who were who were uh, currently working with, they were great. We did Coca-Cola uh, Coca-Cola Coliseum there for them. So it's just been such a fun ride and working with a whole array of, of properties. And it's often not the big ones. You know, it's not the Maple Leafs or it's not the Cowboys. It's those smaller projects like Toledo that are the most rewarding where you get in a, where you get there and you see how unique this actual place is. And you've got to find a solution and it means you've really got to put your head down because everyone wants to partner with the Cowboys, although it costs a lot, but you know, to tell that story to a brand about this unique Midwest university, it really, it really takes a lot of time and it's, it's very rewarding at the end of the day. It's more of a deeper community discussion at that point with, uh, Absolutely. with, with the universities. Yep. Have you, have you consulted on non sporting properties before? Absolutely. Yeah. We've got one right now, which uh, Dean and I are both very, very passionate about. Um, and I'm hoping you're going to share it, uh, share some of their collaterals on your LinkedIn, on the SponsorPod LinkedIn at least. Um, and that's the Giant Magellan Telescope. This is the largest telescope uh, in the world. It's being built in Chile. Um, it's headed up by some just tremendous people. Uh, the CEO, Robert Shelton, just an an incredible individual who can tell an incredible story. Um, and they brought us on board and Jennifer Eccles actually, who's a senior VP there. She had this vision of, you know, how can we not just fund this privately through philanthropic efforts, but how can we get corporations involved? And uh, she reached out to us probably two years ago. And at first I, I was scratching my head and I thought, how could I get a corporation to invest in a telescope uh, in Chile. I mean, is it going to work? And after I talked to her and Robert and Pat McCarthy, who's this incredible uh, astronomist uh, who's gone on now, he heads up, he works for the government, heading up all telescopes and all funding for telescopes across uh, North America. But uh, yeah, when I spoke to them and I understood their vision for what this is and how this can change the world and how a corporation can actually get you know huge benefits from this we just instantly dean and i uh, got engaged and the rest is history so we built out a sponsorship platform for them if anyone's interested you know hit me up on linkedin or or follow bonham wills on uh twitter um send me a, a private message or you know maybe share my email corporations can come in and essentially partner with us uh, what we're hoping to do is have, you know, seven or eight 
exclusive partnerships. We're not going to over-commercialize this thing. It is a telescope at the end of the day. We're not going to put signs all over the place. But we do have this tremendous uh, media presence. You know, the New York Times is featuring us every once in a while. We've got a, a very committed following. Uh, we are doing a lot of community work with uh, youth and promoting science and promoting big science. And it's just, I mean, it's certainly not the most profitable project uh, that we've taken on in over the years, but uh, I would have to say at this point, it is one of the most rewarding. That's super interesting. Sponsorship of a telescope. That's a, that's, that's a, that's a new one for me. I, I'm actually super intrigued on how, how you do that. I mean, are you targeting companies like a Lockheed Martin or th those types of, you know, scientific companies? Yeah. What a great, uh, what a great question. So, Certainly, that was part of our analysis. We look at Boeing and we look at uh, other companies that will use this telescope. Um, we've got a tremendous amount of partners across the globe, uh, founding partners, Harvard, uh, Arizona State, uh, University of Arizona, the list goes on and on. So, you know, we look at where companies are going to utilize our services or we need to utilize their services that's always part of the analysis when you're looking at who a good sponsor would be uh but more than that like i said we have a great media presence um yeah. i think there's a lot of companies that are aligned with big science that want to be aligned it's a great way to tap into a new audience that is committed um i know if i had a visa or a mastercard or something that had giant magellan telescope or portion of my money that I spent or, or a portion of the money that they give back to me because right now I've got a Royal Bank of Canada and I think they give 2% back to me, right? That comes back to me in cash. That's wonderful every couple of years when I see how much it is. But if I knew that I was giving that money um, actually to fund the Giant Magellan Telescope, to uh, fund um, progressive movements that I believe in, then I would be on board with that. So it's, it's really something that I'm passionate about. It's not an easy road, I can tell you. Um, we've spent the last 18 months just educating uh, corporate marketers as to what we believe it is. We believe in it, uh, but now we have to actuate on it. Now we have to make it a real thing. So this is a super interesting you know, par partnership that you've, or consulting uh, partnership that you've got with, with them and, and sponsorship sales. But you, you've also been involved in some, some other things, and I believe you've, you've got a big partnership that you're in the middle of right now? Is it something that you can talk about today? Unfortunately, Jason, I wish we could talk about it today, but all I, was, all I will say is this, is we've signed a, a huge partnership. Uh, it's going to merge uh, my neuroscience background with our, our sports experience together. And um, it, it could come out later, out later on this afternoon. We're just waiting to uh, for a couple things uh, that are tangentially involved to get finished, but it's it's going to change the sports landscape completely. Uh, and I don't just mean in the professional world. Uh, I mean right from your toddler playing soccer or your toddler playing hockey, all the way up to amateur sports and then into professional sports. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, like I said, follow me on LinkedIn. Follow me or follow Bottom Wheels on Twitter. Um, and we'll certainly, as soon as it's announced, I think there's going to be a lot of media buzz. Uh, it's going to be great. And then the company also, um, just to drop a little hint, uh, I think the company is going to be so 
uh, involved in the reopening of sports arenas and stadiums uh, post-COVID. It's just, it's a really exciting time for Bonham Wills and Associates. It's a really exciting time for me. Um, I love these types of unique projects uh, and uh, we're excited to get started. So like I said, follow, follow us. As soon as it comes out, we'll, uh, we'll be sure to call you, Jason, as uh, one of the first people. And uh, maybe even we could do a short segment on that once we can announce. Yeah, yeah, maybe we can, we can hop on, do a quick, quick segment on just that, that partnership as, as well. We'll make sure we announce it on our social media channels as well. As we kind of wrap up here, um, when, when you consult with clients, what do you feel are kind of those top three most important assets or strategies you, you encourage them to focus on? Yeah, the top three. Certainly, uh, we And I guess that could, differ between, that could differ between a rights holder and a, and a brand. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think if we're talking about, let's, let's start with the brand. Um, you want to create that narrative. That's the first thing. Uh, and the second thing is you want to create uh, an opportunity to merge the two um, objectives, whatever that may be. You might be partnering on a, a local theater. Um, what does the local theater bring to the community and what can you uh, as the brand bring to the community? And then the third thing is to find an equitable partnership. Uh, if whenever I look and I see, and over the years, um, you know, there was a, a stadium in Toronto um, that they brought us on board and they had a partner in place. And I looked at it and I said, this isn't equitable for the partner. This isn't equitable for the sponsor. And the reason was they weren't activating on it. So I think the third thing is, is to create an equitable partnership. Um, and to do that, you need to activate properly. You need to have the systems in place. I know sponsor CX is uh, going to be a prominent game changer in terms of actually being able to do that because too often on the brand side, people like yourself, Jason, uh, have too much to do and you can't, you can't do everything. You can't have boots on the ground at every event. And once these things slip, uh, it's very hard to pick them back up. And if, you know, a corporate marketer as yourself doesn't see that it's equitable, you're going to stop, uh, putting, putting time into it. Now that's on the brand side. What about on the rights holder side? I think, you know, the same thing in terms of equity, uh, you've got to make sure it's equitable. You've got to be able to manage um, your property as you, as you see fit. And therefore you need to make sure that you're getting the amount of revenue for your rights that, um, you know, you can't undersell yourself. The other thing that we see, uh, you know, in MLP stadiums and whatnot is sometimes, you know, they've got a, a sponsor on the toilet paper uh, holder. Yeah. You know, over-commercializing your property that's, is... That's not good. It's, <laughs> that's not good. It's just not the way to go. Um, my philosophy since I first started in this business is always have exclu industry-exclusive category, yeah, categories. Be industry-exclusive. Have your premium partners and, you know, really make sure when you go into an arena or you go into a stadium, you know that that's either a Visa house or a MasterCard house. You know, you don't want to oversell, over-commercialization, creating confusion for the consumer is not good for anyone. It's not good on the brand side and it's certainly not good on the property side. So what do you feel like the future looks like for Bonham Wills and Associates? 
you know, I, we're obviously going to continue doing what we're doing. I can't continue on the road the way that I have. I think in 2015, I spent over 200 days on the road alone. So, you know, we want to invest in uh, technologies that are going to assist in helping um, sponsorship and helping sponsorship sales and helping sponsorship uh, analysis and activation such as such as sponsor CX. So, you know, we really want uh, to look at that to implement technology moving forward. Um, but in terms of what we want to do, we're going to continue on the sports. Uh, I'm loving where we are with the collegiate partnerships. I think they're so fun. They can, uh, they can promote that community in a way that nothing, no other partnership really can. Community is such a big thing. So, you know, we're going to continue on that. But certainly, uh, as long as I'm at the helm, I'm going to look at unique partnerships that can possibly be game changers uh, and bring more awareness to causes and, uh, you know, roll in cause marketing into, into sponsorship. And what makes you get up in the morning and do what you do, Tom? Getting deals done, Jason. That's, uh, that's it. I mean, the ABC the always hand, be closing, always be closing. Yeah. The handshake <laughs> at the end of a good deal. Uh, I, I really can't say much else. You know, I love golf. I, I love road biking. I'm not much of a runner anymore, but those are all the things uh, I do on the side. But uh, the yeah. day that uh, I can't walk into a uh, conference room and walk out with everyone smiling and feeling that uh, that a good deal has been had, uh, those are the days that I'm not sure I want to be around anymore. And if you were listening to this podcast 20 years ago, what do you wish you knew then that you that you know now? <laughs> well. Uh, my favorite quote is Oscar Wilde, I'm not young enough to know everything. And I think that says, that says it all. Uh, 20 years ago, I had so much gusto. Uh, and I, I would put my head down and just, just go for it all the time. I think if I could look back and take a, take a few moments to, uh, to strategize a bit more, um, to spend wonderful time with uh, my family and friends, I would have probably done. I would, you know, I would definitely do that. So I'm not young enough to know everything. Uh, great question. Yeah, it's always good to be able to set aside some time to really sit back and think, right? Uh, we get so busy, Absolutely. it's hard to hard to carve out that time. But it's good to good to make sure to to do that. But thanks so much, Tom, for uh, coming on the podcast today. Appreciate you being being here. Well, I appreciate you having me on the podcast, and this is such a huge uh, and great uh, addition to our industry and to the content that's out there. I've listened to them all up until this point, and uh, you know, listening to Pat at uh, Superlative and and his insight, uh, it really gets you thinking, and it's just such a great addition to what's already out there. So, I appreciate you doing this and taking the time. Good. Thank you, Thomas Wills, President and CEO of Bonham Wills and Associates. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for listening to the Sponsor Pod. Today's podcast was brought to you by Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Sponsor Pod. Before you go, I want to remind you to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends through email, social media, or even by word of mouth. We appreciate all the support. Until next time, I'm Jason Smith, and you've been listening to 
the Sponsor Pod.